get into our study, please pray with me that the Lord would bless uh, this time. Jesus, we come before you and we ask for your spirit to teach us because we know the Holy Spirit is the teacher. Lord, I pray that you would give us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual minds to understand, hearts to receive what you have to say to us today. God, encourage us and convict us and do whatever you need to do to, to get our attention and, and show us uh, what you want from us. Bless this time in your name. Amen. <clears throat> do you purpose to see the spiritual in everything? Meaning your situations, your circumstances, your daily life Events? Do you see the spiritual things that God is doing in your life, or do you just take everything for face value? Do you just see it as it is and not recognize that there's likely a deeper spiritual lesson that the Lord is trying to teach you? Well, it takes a spiritual mind and it takes spiritual eyes to understand the spiritual things that God is doing in your daily life. And we're going to see here in this text in Matthew chapter 16 verses 1 to 12 that Jesus is going to teach us that just that. He's going to teach us how to have spiritual eyes. He's also going to teach us how to have spiritual minds, which brings me to the title of this teaching, Spiritual Eyes and Spiritual Minds. Spiritual eyes, I feel like I've said it so many times that I'm having trouble. Spiritual eyes and spiritual minds. All right. If you remember, uh, it's been a little while, and we had our series on uh, Philemon, talked about discipleship, we did the teaching on evangelism, we had that awesome outreach, uh, and then the last time I taught on a Sunday, we finished Matthew chapter 15, but just to bring to remembrance what we were discussing and where we're at in this story, Jesus, he kind of shifted his ministry for a moment, he started focusing on Gentiles. And remember, he had that interaction, that encounter with the Seraphonician woman who had that daughter who was severely demon-possessed, and he healed her daughter after she passed this test of faith. And then after that, he goes to this region of Decapolis, which is a Gentile region, and he feeds these 4,000, which are primarily uh primarily likely Gentiles because of the region that he does this miracle in. Now, if you look at Matthew chapter 15, verse 39, we see the segue. Jesus leaves capitalist to go to a different place, picking it up in Matthew chapter 15, verse 39. says, And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Okay, so the capitalist is in the south eastern region if you look at the sea of galilee so they cross back over to the western region this area called magdala okay so in this area uh more jews which would make sense when we look at the very first verse of matthew chapter 16 verse 1 then the pharisees and sadducees came and testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven 
So the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't always see eye to eye. So it's very interesting that they're together. They didn't believe the same beliefs. And we'll talk about this later in the teaching, but they weren't on the same page. What brings them together is the Lord, but not in a good way. <laughs> they're coming together it, uh, because of the Lord to bring accusation against him, to test him. And what they're testing him in specifically, and we'll get into it in a moment, is this sign from heaven. They're literally, what they're doing is going out of their way to test the Lord that he might prove that he's actually the Messiah. They've done this several times already and Jesus has answered them several times already and ultimately Jesus, he's given them all the proof that they need. He's showed them. He's fulfilling scripture before their very eyes. He's doing miracles. He's doing every single thing that the scriptures said he would do. It's obvious that he's the Messiah. They don't need another sign. Well, the real issue here is a faith thing. They're not looking for a reason to believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're looking for another reason not to believe he is the Messiah. If he doesn't do the specific sign from heaven, then I can justify my unbelief. But we also see in scripture that there's a deeper thing happening here. It's not just about a practical sign. It's a, it's a spiritual thing. And we see that Satan, the God of this age, is the one that blinds the unbeliever. So we see Satan is actually blinding the Sadducees and the Pharisees from seeing that Jesus is the Messiah. See, Satan blinds the unbeliever, but the unbeliever stays blind because they want to stay blind. They don't want to see that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't want to recognize an authority greater than themselves. They want to remain God of their own lives and not let the God that created them rule and reign over their lives. So they're strategically trying to test him to stay in that place of unbelief. They want to remain blind. And that's why they're testing them. Give me another reason to not believe. And as I said, throughout the Gospels, they've already done this. They test the Lord. They constantly test the Lord. But we do too. We test the Lord. We'll test the Lord to prove himself. For example, we might say, I won't do what I think you're telling me to do in your word until you give me a sign. Give me clear, direct confirmation and then I'll go. Show me and then I'll go, right? The Lord's like, no, go and I'll show you. So often we get stuck in this mindset that I have to be so confident, so sure, God, send me an angel or have some crazy experience happen to me in my life. If you reveal yourself to me completely, then I'll go. And it's like, dude, I, my, my, my word is su sufficient for you. I told you to do this thing. Walk by faith. Your faith can't be contingent upon signs and we'll test the lord give me another sign or i won't walk by faith we also test the lord and his love for us god if you really love me you're the god of love you're my heavenly father if you truly love me then you'll bless me with fill in the blank a significant other i've been single for so long and god if you love me you would provide for me this other person you may not know what you ask maybe it's god if you truly love me you would bless me with this house or you would bless me with 
this car, you would bless me with more friends. It could really be anything. And we test the Lord. If you love me, if you are who you say you are, then you do these specific things. Was the cross not enough? Did he, has he not shown you enough already? Has he not proven himself to you already? We have no reason to doubt, but we can look for reasons to doubt so that we don't have to follow him in everything that he tells us to do. That's what the scribes and Pharisees are doing. They're looking for more of a reason to doubt that Jesus is the Messiah and they're testing him. What's interesting about that, this is when we try to test the Lord, he often ends up testing us. And that's what we're going to see here in this text. They have a test for him, but he has a test for them. Picking it up, that second part of Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Look at how they're testing him. And testing him asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Okay, so traditionally, a sign from heaven was different than a sign from earth. Why? Well, it was believed that demons could do earthly signs. That's why they accused Jesus time and time again of having a demon. You do this by the power of Beelzebub, by Satan, because he's doing miracles. He's doing earthly signs. And they believed again that, that, yeah, the demons could, Satan could do this, but only God performed heavenly signs. A heavenly sign would be like Elijah when he called down fire upon the altar and the sacrifice that he provided there that was proving that God truly was God. We don't know what specific sign they're looking for, but they're bound to their tradition and they're not accepting the miracles that God, Jesus, has already done. They want something different. But I want to point out something here. It says, testing him... They asked that he would show them a sign. They're asking the Lord to do something. See, it's not bad to ask the Lord questions. But what's your heart behind why you're asking? Are you asking from a place of testing or are you asking from a place of trusting? Which brings me to the first of five points. Ask the Lord in faith, not doubt. Ask the Lord in faith, not doubt. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they're asking the Lord with doubt in their heart. They want Jesus to not do this sign so that they can justify their doubt. They really don't even want him to perform a sign. They don't want to believe. But James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 6, he tells us to ask in faith. Specifically, he's speaking about wisdom, but this really applies to any time we're praying to the Lord. If you look at James chapter 1, verse 6, it says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. This doesn't mean that you're never going to have doubt. Remember what that man said to Jesus when his son, he wanted him to experience healing. He said, he said, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. So there's a reality that there's a measure of doubt that we may all have, but we're called to ask in faith. We're called to ask believing who Jesus is and what he's able to do. 
The Sadducees and Pharisees, they don't believe who Jesus is and they don't believe what he's able to do. They're asking from a place of doubt. We're called to ask the Lord in faith, but we also have to recognize when we ask God questions, he might ask us questions. He might return our questions with questions. That's what we see in the book of Job. Job has all these questions for the Lord. He's going through severe suffering, lost all his kids, his property. He's got boils. All these different things are happening to him. If anyone had it rough, it was Job. But he was a righteous man and God wasn't allowing this affliction to come upon him because he was mad at him. He was using Job as a pillar of faith to teach us what it means to walk through suffering and truly trust the Lord. But what happens at the end of the story, uh, I believe verse thir- uh, chapter 38, um, God finally encounters Job. And after all these questions that Job has, God had questions for him. And he says... Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? You got all these questions about me. You're accusing me of being your enemy and out to get you because you're going through a hard time. But where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I'm God. You have to recognize who you're talking to. See, when we ask the Lord questions, sometimes he'll give us an answer, but he does not owe us an answer. He doesn't owe us an answer. And a lot of times when we ask questions, we want a specific answer, but God in turn will respond to our questions with questions. Why? Because he's trying to get to the heart of the matter. When we ask a question, we might think the issue is really one thing, but when he asks us a different question, we recognize the thing is another thing. He's questioning God's character, Job was, and God asks Job questions to help him understand how much he doesn't know about the universe, how powerful God is, and not only that, how much God loves him. It's okay to ask the Lord questions, but we're called to ask the Lord in faith, in trusting him, expecting him to prove his faithfulness to us. The scribes, sorry, Sadducees and Pharisees, they're asking from a place of doubt. Matthew chapter 16, verse 2, says, He answered and said to them, When, uh, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. What's he saying? You can look at the sky. If you saw uh, gray clouds, uh, you heard thunder and you saw lightning. What do you think is going to happen? Probably a storm coming, right? It's like you can look at those things. You can look at the sky and recognize, hey, this is going to be a bad uh, weather day or a good weather day but you're not discerning the signs of the times. Everything that Jesus is doing is fulfilling scripture. And if they recognize that, and if they saw with spiritual eyes what he was doing, they would recognize in the scriptures that the scriptures specifically point to this time on earth that the Messiah would come right around this time. It's Daniel chapter 9. If you look there with me 
They're not discerning the signs of the times. Jesus is saying, look at the signs already. If you knew the scriptures, you would know that this is the time of the first coming of the Messiah. In Daniel chapter 9, pick it up in verse 25, says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, okay, this is uh, after the Babylonian exile after Babylon destroyed um, the, the, the temple and the city around 586, 587 uh, BC. So the command to go restore Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Now, it's really important to understand Hebrew here to, to be able to interpret this section. But look at what happen, what's happening here. He says, from the command to go back and restore Jerusalem, because Babylon completely destroyed it. Who's commanded to restore Jerusalem? Zerubbabel is called to build the temple, but Nehemiah is called to build the wall and build back up the city. From that command to go back, when Nehemiah went back in 445 BC, there's going to be seven, look, there's going to be seven weeks and 62 weeks. Okay, that word week in the Hebrew, it's the word Shabua. Okay, S-H-A-B-U-A, if you want to write it down, you don't have to. Um, so that word Shabua is that word weeks there, and it doesn't necessarily mean seven days, like a week. It means an increment of seven. So the proper translation of this is seven increments of seven years, 62 increments of seven years. Okay, now watch this. So Nehemiah is called to restore Jerusalem in 445 BC. It says after seven weeks, that's seven increments of seven years, that's 49 years. That's how long it took to restore Jerusalem. There's going to be that period. Then there's going to be 62 weeks, 62 increments of seven years. That would be another 434 years. From that point, after those 434 years, 483 years altogether, you'll know that the prince, the Messiah, will come on the scene. Daniel predicted the very day that Jesus would walk into Jerusalem. It's completely fulfilled at his triumphal entry a week before his death. But if the Sadducees and the Pharisees knew the scripture and knew what these prophecies meant, they would be able to discern the signs of the times. The Bible tells us exactly when Jesus would come. And you know what that date brings us to? About 32 AD. It's profound. It's amazing. God tried to set the Jewish people up perfectly to recognize even the time that Messiah would come and they're missing it. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You're not discerning the time, the signs of the times. The Messiah is here. You don't need another sign. I've given you enough signs and ultimately this is the time of my first coming. Now, 
We can look at these profound prophecies, but this also connects or relates to us practically. Sometimes we don't discern the signs of the times. Which brings me to the second point I'll explain. Discern the signs of the times. Discern the signs of the times. Now, anyone that studies any Bible prophecy would recognize that when you look at the world, it looks like uh, the tribulation's right around the corner, but we don't know for sure. No one knows the day or the time or the hour. Jesus tells us that. So I'm not specifically talking about when um, the tribulation's going to come and the rapture's going to come and all these different things and the Antichrist. I'm talking very practically. The Lord does things in our life. He shows us things in our life and he speaks things to us in our life so that we would be aware of what's going on, that we would be spiritually in tune and understand. But we're called to discern these things. We're called to pay attention to these things. It's Proverbs chapter four. Proverbs chapter four. Verse 20. It says, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings. Listen. He says, pay attention. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. Look at verse 25. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you and watch what I'm doing. Pay attention to what's going on around you. I'm trying to teach you spiritual things. I'm trying to prepare you for things, but... You're not listening or you're not seeing or you're not paying attention. Now, this can be, like I said, very practical. Maybe God has called you to be more involved in the church. And we're super blessed at this church because so many people are so involved. And there's a lot of servants here. But maybe you're someone that you know the Lord's put that thing on your heart to be involved maybe with children's ministry or with youth or with some of the home groups that are coming up. Or maybe that you're called to start your own home group and you're like, yeah, I know God said that, but uh, I'm afraid or I don't want to do it. Maybe there's a specific gift that God's given you and you're not using it. It could be administration. It could be helps. It could be evangelism. It could be teaching. It could really be anything And you're neglecting to use that thing. And God's trying to tell you, he's trying to show you, no, 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 this is your time. I want you to stir up this gift. I want you to get involved in this thing. But you're not inclining your ear. You're closing your ear and you're not seeing what God's doing. Maybe there's a character flaw in your life. Anybody have character flaws? I'm just seeing if you're paying attention because we all do, right? That's why we're here. Um, If you were perfect, you wouldn't have to come to church anymore. Write me a letter about that, too. If if you find yourself falling in that place of perfection, I want to hear about it. Um, (laughs) So there could be this character flaw thing. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. It could be really any sin. And the Lord keeps warning you, like, hey, you better cut this thing out. You better stop doing this or you're in for a rude awakening. I'm trying to get your attention. I want you to cut this thing out of your life because I love you and I want the best for you. But if you keep this up, you might face strong discipline. You might face something that you don't need to face. And I'm trying to help you discern the signs of the times. I'm trying to be able to get you to, to see these things and hear you hear these things because i'm trying to prepare you for the future but oftentimes the lord will speak to us and we don't like what he had to say 
Like, yeah, I don't want to change that. I'll change these things, but I'm not changing that thing. This is my comfortable sin over here. And I, I want to keep doing this one. These other ones, I'm fine. Like, I'll quit doing drugs and I won't commit adultery. Uh, at least act out. I might look at women, but I, 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 I'll, I'll stop doing these big things. But these other things, like, I still like smoking cigarettes. I still like drinking sometimes. I still like doing all these different things. It's like, wait, no, no, no. The Lord is calling us to grow and He may be telling you to change those specific habits or transform those specific character flaws and we'll close our ear we won't see it we won't be willing to make those changes this is what happened to the nation of israel several times but i want to point to one example in jeremiah chapter six see jeremiah was warning the people of israel to submit to the babylonians god was using nebuchadnezzar as a form of discipline to the nation of israel and jeremiah says hey submit to this thing you guys keep rebelling against Nebuchadnezzar and you're going to make your situation worse. Ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy this whole entire city, Jerusalem, and he's going to destroy the temple. If you don't submit to what God's telling you to submit to this form of discipline, it's um, in Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. I waited to tell you the verse so I could get there first. You guys notice I do that sometimes? I just have, I want, I have to try to get ahead a little bit. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Jeremiah's like, I'm preaching to these people, but they're so hard-hearted. I'm trying to warn them because I know, God, you love them, but they won't listen. Lord, your word is a reproach to them. They don't want to hear what you have to say because they want to keep Jerusalem the way it is. They don't want Nebuchadnezzar reigning over them. They want to be comfortable. They want to have life how it's always been but we do this too the lord will challenge us or or tell us something that we don't want to do and we'll close our ears and the lord's like dude i'm trying to get this message across to you and i'm doing everything i can but you're not listening and because you're not listening you're 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 we almost force his hand and the lord though uh children of god aren't children of wrath but the lord also disciplines the son and daughter that he loves and sometimes we set ourselves up for that because we're not discerning the signs of the times we're not paying attention to the message that he's trying to get across to us that's exactly what's happening to the sadducees and pharisees they won't see they won't hear they won't receive what jesus is trying to impart to them matthew chapter 16 verse 4 a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. He rebukes them for always seeking these signs. It's not that the Lord won't give us signs, because he will. He'll use our circumstances to confirm things. But when we're constantly seeking for signs because we're in a place of doubt, like the Sadducees and Pharisees, he says... A perverse and adulterous generation. That's, that's, that's you if you're constantly seeking these signs. That's the Sadducees and Pharisees. No, I won't walk by faith. I refuse to. 
So he rebukes them for this. But we can fall into that too. We can get caught up in this lifestyle where we're, we'll only do things or not do things if we're so confident that God showed us or confirmed this thing. Now, I'm not speaking against seeking confirmation. I, I strongly believe in seeking confirmation. But when is confirmation enough confirmation? Like, when is it... Uh, that, okay, the Lord told me this through the word. I have faith that this is the direction that he's given me, but I'm not going to move forward until I have full-fledged faith. And I know, I know that he's in this or he showed me. See, the Lord still requires us to walk by faith. We need to be led by the word of God and not our circumstances. The word of God will line up with our circumstances But the word of God has to be the foundation of our faith and the very thing that's leading us to act and behave in the way that God has called us to. Because our circumstances, they don't always reveal the deep hidden truth of what's actually happening. We can perceive circumstances as things that are different than they truly are. That's why the Lord calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, walk by faith, not by sight. Why? There will be times when we can't see what he's doing, but we still have to keep walking. There's times where it's like, hey, you're walking by faith. Abraham went decades at certain points not hearing from the Lord. Did he just stand still and not do anything? No. He continued to walk by faith. He went off the last thing that he heard God said, and he just kept walking. And God, sure enough, as faithful as he is, he he, he showed up again in Abraham's life and encouraged him to continue walking by faith. If our faith is just about uh, seeing, then is it really faith at all? If I'm only being led by my circumstances, I'm saying, God, if you show me, then I'll go. Is that true faith? I don't believe that it is. And something that's really interesting about this text is that we see a very similar, if you remember, a very similar encounter with another group of religious leaders back in Matthew chapter 12. Very same topic comes up. If you flip with me there, we've already gone through this, but just to remind you, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Same thing. They're asking Jesus to show them another sign. Show us a sign. We want to see a sign from you. Same question in Matthew chapter 16. Show us a sign from heaven. They ask him the same question. You know what Jesus does? He gives them the same answer. Point number three, if you ask God the same question, then you can expect the same answer. If you ask God the same question, then you can expect the same answer. Now, we talked about uh, the Gentile woman. She was asking God something, Jesus, and he wasn't answering her at all. So I'm not talking about if the Lord doesn't answer you, but if the Lord told you no about something... The answer is probably still going to be no. He gives them the same exact answer. He says, you want to see a sign? It's the sign of the prophet Jonah, which we'll get into in a moment. See, sometimes we'll ask God something and he'll give us an answer that we don't like to hear. So we'll go back to God and say, hey, God, eh, I didn't really like that answer. You sure you don't have a different answer for me? 
Like, can I get a different answer? Like, eh, or, or, did you know what you were talking about when you gave me that answer? Like, did you have the big, the big picture of the full story? It's like, of course he did. He gave you that answer for a specific reason. That's the answer, though you might not want to hear it. That's the answer that you need to hear, even if you don't like it. Maybe it's, ah, I really want to be with this specific person. And you're that single person. The Lord's already told you, no, you can't be with that person. Or maybe it's a job and I want to go work here and I want to do this. And the Lord, that's not what I've called you to. Maybe it's a living situation. I want to live here in this other place. I don't want to live up the mountain or I do want to live up the mountain. And, 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 and the Lord continued, hey, no, this is where I have you for this season. The answer isn't going to change. You're not going to change his mind. He knows why he gave you the answer. Now, this doesn't uh, don't don't take this out of context. There's certain times in our lives where we're praying something specific and God says no right now, just not right now. I'm telling you, no, for this time period in the future. Yeah, but it's just not right now. I got this. This will be a yes later, just not right now. But in this specific situation, the scribe, the Sadducees and Pharisees, they're asking the Lord the same question that was asked before. And he gave gives them the same exact answer. And what was that answer? Like I said, back to Matthew chapter 16, that last part of verse four, it says, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. If you keep your place in Matthew 12, probably should have told you that. So what is the sign of the prophet Jonah? We see further clarity in the answer that Jesus had already given back in Matthew chapter 12. If you look at verse 39, but he answered and said to them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what's the answer? It's the gospel. That's what he's getting across here. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the big fish for three days and three nights, so too the son of man, he'll die on a cross, he'll be buried in the earth in a tomb, and he will rise from the dead the third day just as jonah was spit out of the big fish's mouth on the third day what's the point the answer is the gospel and the answer always will be the gospel point number four the gospel will always be the answer the gospel will always be the answer uh sadly i had a i call him an acquaintance um he went through uh calvary house like a year or two after me, and I had interactions with him occasionally when I would when I would do stuff with the guys. Uh, but he was very stuck on head knowledge. He was so consumed with what he knew and doctrine and different things, and he'd get caught up with these bad doctrines. And the leaders there would try to warn him, and it, his faith was all a knowledge thing. So it didn't really surprise me when I saw a post on Facebook a couple weeks back uh, when he basically came out and said, I can't say that I'm a Bible-believing Christian anymore. Um, and it's because of the cross. He said, I can't, I can't believe in a God that murdered his son. And I can't believe all these different things. And I'm going, dude, 
I've learned from having Facebook debates. I don't do it anymore. Uh, There's so many things I wanted to say. It's like, bro, this is so off. Jesus laid down his life. Like, what are you saying? God didn't murder the son. So there are so many things that I wanted to say, but I didn't say. The point is he was looking for a different answer other than the gospel. He was saying, I'm not a Bible-believing Christian, but I'm going to try to have a relationship with God anyways. What God? You making up your own God? Are you going to define who God is? Or are you going to allow the Bible, 66 books with so many different authors that have compiled this information and his word about the same exact God? What's your resource for who God is now? You're making up your own God. He's looking for a different answer other than the gospel. He doesn't want the gospel anymore, but that's the only answer that is going to change someone's life. See, we need this too. We need to be reminded of the gospel. It's the answer for us. And sometimes we get away from that and we forget the gospel. Not that we forget it intellectually, but experientially. We, we forget that we're sinners. The day you stop sinning for the rest of your life, is the day you don't need the gospel anymore, okay? So if you're like me, you need the gospel daily, right? We make mistakes even in our mind, our thought process, in our hearts. It's still sin. And because of those sins, we're still in need of the gospel to remind ourselves of it, that we're sinners and we're in need of a savior. And that savior was the only one that could pay the price for our sin because he was perfect and he was sin. Listen, we have to remind ourselves of that often, that we're still in need of the gospel. It's still the answer for me, not yesterday, but today and every day moving forward. If you're looking for another way to God, you're not going to find it. Jesus is the only way. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you're trying to get to me through some other avenue, you're just becoming more and more lost. And I didn't used to believe that until the Lord showed up in my life and made it so clear. God the Father, through circumstances, through His Word, pointed me to the Son. The last thing on earth I thought I would be in my life was a Christian, let alone a pastor. And that's what happened because I recognized that He is the only way, the truth, and the life. And only then did I start experiencing life for what it is, for what he's called me to and created me for. And look what he does here. Second part of verse four says, and he left them and departed. He left them with the same answer, the same sign. He didn't change his mind. They ask him the same question. He gives them the same answer and he leaves them with the truth. He doesn't change his mind so that they'll follow him. Okay, uh, I'm sorry that I said uh, that, that, that the only sign I'll give you is the sign of Jonah. Would something else make you feel better? You want me to call down fire from heaven and then you'll follow me? He doesn't do any of that. He's completely okay with people walking away. Though he loves the individual dearly and he desires them to follow him, he's not going to, uh, going to change the truth or change the answer so that someone will follow him. We see this throughout the Gospels. Jesus is okay. If you don't want the truth, He is the way, the truth. He is the truth. If you don't want the truth, Jesus, okay, go live in la-la land. Live in a lie. Follow something else. Live out another gospel. But if you don't want the truth, he's okay with you not having the truth. He wants you to know the truth, but he's not going to change the truth just so that you follow him. Matthew chapter 16, verse 5. 
Now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, important to note, leaven is always a picture of sin or wickedness. We've talk, talked about this before back in the Matthew 13 parables, the parable of the leaven. Uh, we see this uh, at the Passover ceremony in Exodus chapter 12, um, like running into the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Uh, we see that leaven is always a picture of sin and wickedness. Important to note when we see the response of the disciples. Look at verse 7. And they reason among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Come on. That's their reasoning. It's because we've taken no bread. And Jesus, I love his response, but before we get there, their reasoning was flawed. They're leaning on their own understanding, their own logic, their own reasoning, and it's misleading them. Which brings me to the fifth and final point. Wrong reasoning is misleading. Wrong reasoning is misleading. They're thinking for themselves and they're thinking carnally. They're not thinking spiritually and they're being misled. The Bible warns us of this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. This doesn't mean that Christians aren't supposed to think. We're called to love the Lord our God with all our what? heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there is an intellectual way that we do love the Lord. But when we get stuck on our own reasoning, our own logic, we'll often misinterpret what the Lord's trying to tell us. And that's what the disciples are doing. Because they're thinking carnally, they're misinterpreting what Jesus is trying to get across to them, the message that he's trying to get across to them. See, Jesus He often speaks spiritually. He speaks practically too, but he often speaks spiritually. And if we're not spiritually in tune, we're going to miss the message. For example, in John chapter 6, he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says, many walked away from him because they're thinking that he's calling them to be cannibals. He's like, dude, the words I speak to you are spirit. They're spiritual words. I'm not telling you to like kill me and devour me. I'm calling you to this deeper relationship. And it was a uh, kind of foreshadowing of communion. He was speaking spiritually. They didn't get it. Why? Because the carnal man doesn't understand spiritual things. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man, the carnal man, the fleshly man doesn't understand spiritual things. I've used so many examples of this before, but when I used to read, I started reading the Bible before I got saved and I didn't get it. I didn't agree with it. I didn't believe it. Nothing. Why? Because I was reading it naturally. It's a supernatural book. I didn't have the Spirit of God to, 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 to reveal what's actually happening here. I didn't have spiritual eyes to see. To have spiritual eyes, to have spiritual minds, we need what? The Holy Spirit. The natural man can't understand spiritual things. The spiritual man can. And the only thing that makes you a spiritual man, a true spiritual man, is the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of the living God coming inside of you and teaching you, revealing these things to you, changing you, transforming you from the inside out. But Matthew chapter 16, 
the disciples, they don't understand what Jesus is saying right off the bat. But it doesn't end there. They continue to have this conversation with him. They continue to fellowship with him and seek him. And ultimately, the Lord gives them understanding. True is that for us as well. When we don't understand what the Lord's doing or we're misinterpreting what he's trying to tell us, if we continue to seek him, if we pursue fellowship with him, he'll bring clarity. He'll bring understanding. It will come in time. And he brings understanding to what he just said in the next few verses. Matthew chapter 16, picking it up in verse 8. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have brought no bread. Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? nor the seven loaves of the 4,000, and how many large baskets you took up. He's saying, remember what I just did? I just fed 5,000 people. I just fed 4,000 people. Why are you still concerned about bread? I'm not talking about bread. I'm speaking to you spiritual things. He's trying to teach them to think spiritually. The words I tell you are spirit. Think spiritually. Don't just take it practically. Recognize these are spiritual things. The Lord will teach us to think spiritually. He'll get us out of our carnal thought process, our natural man, leaning on our own logic, our own reasoning. Not that there's not a place for logic and reasoning. There absolutely is, but he calls us to lean on his reasoning. And he'll teach us what his reasoning is as we pursue relationship with him. Do you think spiritually? Do you see the things that happen to you in your life? And do you just take them at face value? Or do you recognize that there's an underlying spiritual thing that the Lord is likely trying to get across to you? And this can be really in anything. Watching a movie. Literally, the Lord can speak to you through watching a movie. Not even kidding. You know how many movies are out there that really, uh, um, the, the core of the story is the gospel. It's like this leader of these people and uh, he almost dies and then he fights for him and then the whole people group saved. There's so many stories like that. But really in anything, if we have spiritual minds, we'll see the spiritual lessons that the Lord is trying to teach us. It could be a conversation. It could be an interaction. It could be working at a secular job. And it's like, hey, all right, I got my spiritual thing when I'm at church, but at the secular environment, it's a secular job. There's not spirituality here. There is if you let it. If you're spiritually in tune and you allow the Lord to teach you, maybe there's a conversation that you're supposed to have with an employee or with a coworker. And the Lord opened up the door because they're going through this really hard time. And you're just like, oh, we're at work. Sorry, man. I'll pray for you. And it's like, no, 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 no. You need to share the gospel with them. This is an open door for evangelism to happen. So often we get stuck in the natural man. We get stuck with this carnal mindset and we miss out on these spiritual opportunities that God wants for us. Matthew chapter 16, verse 11, closing it out. How is it you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees? 
Well, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they believed in the same God, but they had different beliefs. The Sadducees, they didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in life after death. So what is he warning them of? Beware of unbelief. Beware of not believing in the supernatural. Don't get caught up with the doctrine of the Sadducees. Pharisees, what was their doctrine? They were caught up in legalism and self-righteousness and judgment and hypocrisy. Don't get caught up in that either. Jesus is warning them after he had that encounter with the Sadducees and Pharisees. Beware of unbelief, beware of legalism and hypocrisy. And if he was warning the disciples, then he's absolutely warning us too, because even in the church, we can fall into these things. Beware of unbelief. When we get too involved in the world or too drawn into the ways of the world, we're bound to struggle with unbelief. Why? Because the world will often challenge the word of God. Say, uh, it's all allegory or uh, there's so many contradictions or it doesn't line up with uh, history or whatever. And it's like, that's foolishness. The more you study the Bible, the less faith it takes to believe it. When you truly study these things and you look at history, when you look at archaeology, when you look at all these different things and prophecy fulfilled, it doesn't really take much faith at all to believe it. Just the mustard seed. But when we like, eh, I don't want to really get in the word and I'm just going to like listen to whatever atheist said whatever in the world or I'm going to listen to this program because this guy is interesting to me, we're going to get swayed to this place of unbelief. More often than not, though, the problem in the church, in my perception, is the Pharisee thing. So often people in the church, as they come to church more and more and they know the word more and more, the more they know, the more likely they are to fall into this pharisaical lifestyle. And they get caught up with, I know all these things and I'm doing all these things and I'm practicing my religion. And now... I'm holding everyone around me to this standard. And if you're not like me, if you're not as spiritual as I am, I'm going to criticize. I'm going to judge you. And we can get caught up uh, and become that Pharisee type person getting so stuck on knowledge and legalism and hypocrisy that we forget the love of God that drew us in in the beginning. He draws us in with loving kindness. He doesn't draw us in with just head knowledge and criticism and judgment. That's not how the Lord operates. That's not how we're called to operate. But he says, beware of it. See, in this section, Jesus, he taught the Sadducees and the Pharisees how to see spiritually. They weren't seeing what he was doing all around them. He, what, they weren't discerning the signs of the times. He gave them enough signs already. If they were in tune spiritually, they would recognize that he has fulfilled every sign that they need him to fulfill up to that point. And with the disciples, he was teaching them how to think spiritually. They were still taking his words as the natural man, as the carnal man, and they were taking his words at face value and not understanding the depth of spirituality that he was trying to teach them through the words. And he warned them, don't be a Sadducee, don't be a Pharisee. See, the Lord, he's teaching us both. He wants to teach us to see spiritually. See what he's doing 
in our lives. Look at the world around you with spiritual eyes. And I'm not talking about hyper-spirituality and making things spiritual that aren't actually spiritual, but just being in tune. Hey, God, is there, one, is there something you want to show me today? He also wants to teach us to think spiritually, that we would see his word, just not as words on a page, but these are life-giving words. The word of God is living and powerful. The things that he tells us in our lives through his word or even through he can speak to us through circumstances, worship, prayer, visions, dreams, so many different things that we would understand the depth of spirituality that he's trying to get across to us. See, the only way that we can have these spiritual eyes and spiritual minds is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us to ask for the Holy Spirit because your father is a good father. And if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Greek there is really be being filled. Like that we got to constantly ask for it. That we got to constantly be filled. Why? Because we're leaky vessels. And we can be spiritual one moment and then completely carnal two minutes later. And it's like, what the heck happened? I was like, spiritual then, and now I'm carnal. What's happening? You need to pray for the Holy Spirit again. we got to ask constantly. So I would end this time, and I want to pray for the, just that. I want to ask God to fill each of us. The only way that we're going to have, again, these spiritual eyes and spiritual minds is by the power of His Holy Spirit. So please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this text. How you're so patient to teach us spiritual things, Lord, and you long suffer with us as we learn how to see spiritually and think spiritually, God, but you have a promise in Scripture. That promise is the promise that you would send the Holy Spirit, that he would dwell among us, that he would live inside of us, that he would help us, that he would teach us, that he would convict us, that he would transform us. Lord, And we ask right now for the filling of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill each and every person in this room. God, if there's anyone that hasn't accepted you into their lives, I pray, Lord, that you would stir up their hearts, that they would be open to receiving you. God, because we know to receive the Holy Spirit, we first have to accept accept the gospel, the, the only answer. Lord, and if there's anyone here, I pray that you would give them a heart to, to speak to someone today, maybe one of the pastors, and, and, and move forward in what that relationship actually looks like. It's more than uh, just an altar call. It's a, it's a relationship, a commitment to you as you liken it to a marriage. God, so I pray, Lord, for each and every believer here, again, that you would fill us, anoint us, equip us to see spiritually, to think spiritually, and operate in what you've called us to do in this short time here on earth. In your name, amen.